Thank you, Brother Steve. And uh, we're going to be turning to the uh, Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 30 tonight. And Clark, I think if you had checked the bottom of that lobster, you probably would have said made in China. <laughs> There's always that possibility. <laughs> Never know anymore, amen? Scallops, I believe all scallops are made in China. <laughs> nah. Just, just the name alone's got to cut you. Kind of set your teeth on edge. I don't know. <laughs> well, Clark, I'm glad you married a pushy woman. <laughs> you never knew uh, until you needed it. Amen. Truth of the matter is, all wise are pushy. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Although my wife is getting very tired of being pushy because I just don't respond very well. Because <laughs> I, ha- I-, I have a bigger problem than she is being pushy. I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> and so I even put off all that stuff. I get to it eventually, though, don't I? I want her to be able to enjoy the message. <laughs> but if you don't, I mean, she gets all upset because it's always cooking and one thing or another. So, oh well, it doesn't look right. Anyway, how to become an apple in God's eye. Amen? How do I become an apple in God's eye? Now, it's an interesting phrase. It's uh, used, I think, about four times in all of Scripture. And uh, the idea of being an, uh, being an apple in God's eye is that God's attention or God's focus is on that particular something or that particular person. And so Psalm 17, uh, verses 1 through 8, would be our catalyst there. We'll be actually, you hold your finger there in 1 Samuel because we'll be back there in just a moment. But in Psalm, oh, we find the first use of that word there, and I just went right on by it. Come on. There we go. Okay, Psalm 17. Come on, Mike, Mike, Mike. I know I got one in here somewhere. It's hiding. Anyway, Psalm 17. Here we go. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer. That goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt, thou wilt hear me. O God, incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by the right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against thee. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Lord, keep me in your focus. Be mindful of me. Be mindful of all the things that I need to be able to be the man of God that you want me to be. It was basically David's uh, cry to the Lord. So David, like so many of us uh, in our lives, uh, we have to grow up in the faith. Hopefully you're a lot further on today than you were last week and so on. You've heard me say that before. Uh, 
And the idea is that uh, David desired spiritual growth and he wanted God to keep an eye on him so that he moved David forward in spiritual growth. Uh, he realized that there are things that you can't hide from God. And he had to learn that lesson the hard way a little bit later on in his life. But you can't hide your sin from God. You can't cover your sin. God knows exactly what it is, where it is, what you've done, and how you've done it. So whether David was a long way from home in fields tending to his family's sheep, or walking down into a valley to slay a giant, or spending a very vital 20 years on the run from uh, King Saul for no crime that David himself had committed. It was all part of David's spiritual growth, a, a program that was designed by God to grow David. Sometimes we look at our lives and there are things that we don't want to be there, but God wants them there because God has placed them there. And it is part of God's program to grow us, to help us to spiritually grow and to mature. Those tests that the teachers give, and their life would be a lot easier if they didn't have to give tests. But they give tests to make sure that the, the information they're giving is being received and is being understood and so on along the way there. And so we have to realize that uh, God has a program for our spiritual growth. Some of it is very simple and very easy. It's a matter of reading the Bible, studying and meditating in the Bible, uh, having an adequate uh, and a, uh, a very uh, strong prayer life and so on. But there are other things that come into our lives as we see in like trials and tribulations, adversity and moments like that that are there as part of that program of growth. So David did many things well and occasionally some not so well. But he was developing godliness in his life and uh, that was not just taking root but showing a permanence. It was, it was lasting and it was helping David to progress in that which God had called him to, who God would call him to ultimately. So David, David never chased, uh, never ceased chasing after, after that close and that intimate fellowship with God. He, he writes in Psalm 42 and verse 1, as the heart panteth for the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Can you think of a time in your life that you ever said, I'm panting after God. Now, you've been thirsty, amen? I mean, you, you had those days where soda wasn't cutting it, that uh, water wasn't cutting it. It just seemed like you had an insatiable thirst, amen? Well, we should be that way spiritually. There'll be times in our days when we just, we, we, we're, we're not satisfied with just a few chapters or just a devotional. We, we want to dig a little bit deeper and we want to... Uh, get abreast of the word of God and, and we just want to get into that little deeper uh, walk with the Lord that day. But the idea is it panteth after. Um, we don't seem to do that very much. We're, we're too easily settling in for the status quo in most of our daily lives. So several or so realities that should, uh, should permeate or uh, should uh, permeate our attitudes towards God as they did David. Uh, attitudes toward the Lord in a, in, a, in a quickness of response or a quickness to act, if you will. Sometimes we let things linger. We wait too late sometimes to praise God when we should have turned around and said, thank you, Lord, for just whatever it is, it just kind of missed you. Maybe it was a car just pulled up in front of you and you stopped and, well, that was a close one. Thank you, Lord. 
Uh, thank you for keeping an eye on me. And so there's a lot of things in which it can happen throughout the day. We can be very thankful. That's part of, I believe, that's part of our worship, part of our daily prayer, part of our daily walk with the Lord is to be mindful of the things that, that God prevents from happening in our lives or things that God brings into our lives and so on. So I'm going to give you a couple things here tonight that would might help us, as it did David, to, uh, to actually become uh, uh, the God's focus on our lives. Uh, not that God isn't, as I said earlier this, this morning, that God does... Uh, the Lord prays for us all day long, but uh, does God know what I, uh, where I am, what I'm in? Sometimes we feel like maybe God doesn't know whether God isn't keeping an eye on us, but I want you to know he does. And it's like anything else. Um, uh, I was thinking of an illustration back when I was in the Air Force and I was working part-time. I, cause you, 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 nowadays they make a lot of money in the military. When I was in there, you, 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 you almost had to pay the government to, to, to work for them. But uh, anyway, I had a part-time job because I was married, and uh, we had our oldest son, uh, Ron, at that time. And it was uh, I had a job with Ober- Oberdorf, Oberdorf Foundries. And they needed some people to push the brooms and sweep the floors because if you know a foundry, there's a lot of sand. Everywhere there's sand, and they like to have it swept up and keep it somewhat neat along the line. And so I'd gone to work several nights there, maybe about a couple weeks, and the guy finally came up to me, and he said, Hey, I've been watching you. I've been observing you. And he said, uh, You're a good worker. He said, I, I w- I'd like to take you off the broom and put you on the line here and be able to make up some of those sand molds and so on uh, that uh, we use for casting molds and everything else like that. So the idea is that God is watching. You don't think that God wasn't watching Daniel uh, and his three compa- compatriots when they were back in Israel? Oh, yeah, he was watching them. And he knew that he could count on them when they were in uh, captivity at that particular point. And and surely he could. He was able to do just that. And so the first thing here tonight is that David was quick to seek God's will, and so should we. We should pray that said, Lord, what is your will in this matter? Uh, we may have an idea of God's overall will. Uh, I know that God's will for me is, is, is just to be a pastor. Now, within that overall will, there are things that God wants to be done. I may not know exactly what they are or how I should handle those things. I say, Lord, what is your will in handling this situation? Lord, what is your will in all of this? And so if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 6 through 8. Now, this is an incident where where David was on the run. He had gone uh, off to fight with the Philistines against the nation of Israel. Uh, A number of the Philistine generals didn't like that idea, and they sent him back. And so as he went back to where he had come from there, if you remember... Uh, the Sabaeans had come in there and they had taken off all the wives, all the children, all, all the goods, and they had, burnt the, they had burnt the city down. So that's where we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 6 through 8. Uh, so it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Now when he came back here, all these men, they lost their wives. They lost all their kids, they lost all their goods, they were carried off into captivity. And so they weren't happy with David. He was under some real serious pressure, and he really knew that his men were angry beyond, I guess, expression. And so, and he says, And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, we're going to find some very distressing times in our lives. Now, we can sit there and we can stew and brew and do all the things that a lot of people do, or we can get with the Lord. 
And that's exactly what he did. It says right there. Uh, and, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7 says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, uh, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And uh, verse 8 says there, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this group? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. See, it's, it's why it's so important to, rather than just striking off and trying to deal with these things, take a few seconds. Get along with the Lord. And say, Lord, what is your will in this matter? So David is still being hunted by Saul. At this time, he has lost confidence of his men. An enemy has stolen his uh, and his men's families. The city is burned to the ground and they have nothing. So what is the first step? Well, his men blame David. And they, you know, I believe that's one of the problems we have, that when we find ourselves in distress, we want to blame people. We want to put the blame someplace else rather than handling it in a godly fashion by saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what is your will in this matter? And letting God guide you and direct you. So David doesn't give uh, give. Uh, uh, any argument. He doesn't blame them for the Philistines. He said, listen, if I hadn't gone to the Philistines and one thing or another, they could have blamed each other. They certainly were blaming David. But when things go awry, we typically look for someone or something to, to blame because we just don't want to take the responsibility. So that's the fleshly direction. However, David chose to encourage himself in the Lord, as we saw in verse 7 and 8. Bring me the ephod. Let's get God's mind on this. You know, it's to, it, it makes a real difference when we get the mind of God on things, doesn't it? Amen. And so, for us, it's prayer. We turn to the Lord, not for a why, rather for a what would you have me to do? Lord, how would you have me to respond? Lord, what is your will for me or for us in this situation? Isaiah 59 and verse 1 says there has never ever been uh, that's not, I'm, I'm quoting not the Bible verse, I'm stating what I am saying about the verse. Uh, in fact, let's, let's, let's turn it because most of us already should know what that is that the, the Lord's hand is not is not uh, short uh, whoops, I'm wondering I'm by it. Isaiah 59 and there was a sin problem whoops and God was addressing it and saying that uh, his hand was not short, that he could not save alive. But uh, he goes on, he says there in, in verse 2, uh, what the problem was. So he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have. So when we want to get God involved, we want to make sure that we have clarity of of. of, of um, of our of a relationship with him that there's no sin that's blocking our ability to be, be able to get the sense of what the Lord would have us to do or how he'd have us to respond. So we're stating there in, in, in Isaiah 59.1 that there, was, there has never ever been a problem too big for God. Never ever uh, for him to handle. So it may be a, a, a monster to us or as, as uh, the Bible uses the word Great oftentimes from the Greek word magos, there is nothing that is so magos that God can't handle it. Nothing so great, nothing so large that God can't handle it. And so it's always best when we're looking at uh, being stressed out or uh, under distress is to just take a, a deep breath. Say, Lord, I need to be alone with you for a few minutes here. Uh, and maybe if you're with somebody else and someone else is there and, and, and they're distracted, you say, folks, listen. Now, maybe they're not saved. You, you simply say, listen, I'm going to go to my prayer closet. 
You can come with me to the prayer closet if you want to, or your, whatever your prayer room is, and say, and we'll pray about this thing and get the mind of the Lord on that. That's a good thing to do. God takes notice of the fact that you want him to guide and direct you through the problem. But then also, secondly, David was, was, uh, uh, was quick to lift up the fallen, and so should we. Now, uh, the problem was that when they left, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the city. Well, let's look in the chapter 30 and verse um, 21 through 24. Uh, 21, uh, 21, 21, 21 says, And David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and the men of Belial of those that went with David and said, Because they went out, they, because they went not out with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have discovered, save to every man his wife, his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So the point here is that not everyone has the same abilities as others. Not everybody has the same strengths, the physical strengths or the mental abilities or uh, the physical abilities or the financial abilities. But nonetheless, uh, uh, be it physical, uh, some people get exhausted much quicker than others. Some can work until they drop. Others, they drop before they work. <laughs> so it seems in some cases there, but uh, the idea is that not everybody had, these men were exhausted. They had come from uh, being turned back by the Philistines. They went back to, I cannot remember uh, the name of the city there. Anyway, anyway, and now they're going from the city to catch up with the uh, with the, these uh, Sabaeans and so on that had come into, or the Amalekites, where it was that came in there and, and uh, uh, had carried off the wives, the children, and everything else here. So it was an arduous journey. Ziklag, yes. There we go, Ziklag, yeah. I knew it was an L in there somewhere. Ziklag, but Ziklag. <laughs> but anyway, uh, anyway, so they, they had gone down to get to, to, to find the enemy and to bring back all this because God told them to pursue and they would pursue and they'd bring everything back. There would be no loss whatsoever. And But you had uh, 200 of his men and that, uh, when you only have, probably have an army of about 600 people, 800 maybe at the most by that particular time, you lose 200 because they're too weak to be able to go to battle. That's a, that's a big hole in the group. But nonetheless, uh, they went, they recovered, but they came back there, and the other man said, listen, they sat here by this stuff. Well, they were doing something. They may not have been actually going to the battle, but they were staying here, and they were doing something. They were busy, and they were involved. You know, not everybody's going to be called to a faraway mission field. But we have a mission field here. Uh, not everybody is going to be able to go into, uh, go to other churches and uh, raise funds to go to the mission field there. But we can be a church that we raise through our own group here and we can help our missionaries by prayer and by financial support. We may not be on the front lines with them, and, but we are here and they can't be there if we aren't here doing what we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, then we can't, we can't help those who are going out. So everybody has a part. Uh, in all of this. Well, David being the man that he was, growing and being spiritually mature, realized that these men were not capable. They would have been a greater hindrance than they would have been a positive asset. But yet they stayed here and they watched this stuff here. And so they had a part. 
making it possible for us to go and unencumbered by all the stuff that was here, to unencumbered to do what God called us to do and, and get that and get it all back. So David was becoming a godly man who would not flinch in standing up to a majority uh, on behalf of the wounded and the weak. And so we need to learn to stand up uh, for those who may not be able to do as much as what we can do. I, uh, I know that sometimes that uh, people get old enough and they've had strokes, they've had problems, uh, they can't come to church, although they would love to be in church. I'd love to sit where you folks are sitting. Uh, Mrs. Church, I remember going to her house one time and she said, you know, Pastor, said, I, I just, I just, and she was one who didn't miss many services at all until she had a stroke. And then she says, you know, I can't be in church, but I can be, I know when services are. She said, I'm home here and I want you to know I'm praying for you during that hour. So anything that transpired in the church that God was able to accomplish, she had a part even though she was up in the up in the up in the center in her home, because she was praying for the power of God to be present, and so we have prayer. Well, I told Dan, uh, Danny Rawson the same thing. I, I said, "Brother, listen, you're confined to this bed because of muscular dystrophy and, and so on." There, but listen, you know when we meet, uh, and I need prayer warriors. I need someone like you to be praying for God's power to rest on the church and on the messages and on the sermons and on the on the various teachers that are here. And so uh, prayer warriors don't have to always be in the church. They can be at home uh, using whatever time that they've got and what God has given them to be able to use. And thirdly, David was quick to pay his debts, as should we. Now, that is that there... Listen, uh, I know Clark t- shares his testimony about the day he got saved and who it was that kind of led him to the Lord. I know Jack has done the same thing uh, at IBM. and uh, There was an IBMer at the time there that uh, talked with him and led him to a saving knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Someone in your life shared the gospel with you and you got saved. Did you thank him? Have you thanked him? Out of, the, out of the clear blue sky one night that my phone rang at the house. And I answered the phone and, and it was a, a fellow that uh, I had led to the Lord. Both he and his wife, well they were a boyfriend and girlfriend at the time, in Kentucky. And I led them to the Lord and I encouraged them that they need to do the right thing. And that was to get married. They finally did get married and they called one night and they just said, we just want to thank you for coming by and sharing the gospel. We got saved that night, which you knew. And, uh, of course, they went off in the ministry. I have no idea where Carol and Ron West are at this particular time, but I'm hoping they're still alive and well and in the ministry at some particular point there along the line. But they called specifically to say, thank you. Well, I was just doing what God called me to do. I was a servant of the Lord, and it is God who saved them. I just shared the gospel. They called to thank. There are people in our lives that we need to be thankful for. We need to be thankful for our moms and our dads. If we had godly moms and dads, we need to be thankful that we were raised in that kind of a home. I know some of the young people, they see that as a detriment. I'm, I'm looking back. My dad wasn't saved, but my mom was. I'm glad I had a godly mother. And I'm glad that I had a, a, a godly mother-in-law. It would have been nice to have had godly fathers and a godly father-in-law uh, that were, really loved the Lord and would read their Bibles and were, were active in church. But... Uh, be that as it may, I'm thankful for, for two mothers who loved the Lord and uh, made sure that we were pointed in the right direction uh, throughout all of our lives and, and being raised. And, and of course, uh, as a result of that, I got a godly wife uh, through all of that. And so uh, I'm thankful for, uh, for a godly mother-in-law who saw to it that her children were in church on a regular basis and I got the best of the bunch. So I'm happy with that one. So, But there are just so many things that we need to be thankful for. And so, uh, we talk about debts now, now in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 30, very quickly here, verses 26 
uh, through 31. And the Bible says, And when David came to Ziglag, uh, he, sent, uh, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, you notice he said, even to his friends, not everybody in Israel hated David. There were those who were looking to aggrandize themselves or to enhance themselves uh, in the king's service by being an enemy of David, but there were those who were were, were, were uh, friendly to David and uh, probably helped him out from time to time along the way there. And David wanted them to know, he said, I haven't forgotten about you guys. I haven't forgotten about you folks and the good things that you did. And so he goes on there and he says, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To them which were in Bethel and to them which were in South Ramah and to them which were in uh, Jetur and to them which were in, in Aurora and to them which were in Shipmuth and to them which were in an Estamoa, and to them which were in Rakal, and to them which were in the cities of the, Je- the Jeremelites, I'll get it out, uh, and to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, and to them which were in, in, in Horma, and to them which were in Karshan, and to them which were in, uh, in, in Athak. Uh, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to hunt. In other words, they were protected. And David said, listen, we want, I want to reward you for being my friend at a time when I really needed friends. When I needed someone in my homeland to show that they cared. You did. He said, I want you to know I haven't forgotten what you've done for me. And we ought to make sure. Listen, there's Sunday school teachers in our lives. There's moms and dads in our lives. Maybe it's a co-worker. Things of that nature that we just have to be thankful for that God brought them into our lives and had an impact on us. Uh, then uh, fourthly, very quickly here, David was quick to defend a conviction, and so should we. Uh, David had a conviction. Now, one of the things that he had several opportunities to take Saul, to take Saul's life, but he refused to do so. He said, "I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed." So, in Second uh, Samuel chapter one, looking at verses fourteen through sixteen, and David said unto him, "How was?" Thou not afraid. Now, uh, King Saul and his soldiers along with his sons had gone to battle against the Philistines. Now, in that battle, Saul was wounded. And he pulled himself out of the battle and he saw a young Israelite. Anyway, he was in the battle. He was in the army there. I don't think he was an Israelite, by the way. Uh, And he said, uh, follow me with your sword. He said, I don't want to be taken alive and I don't want to be abused by the enemy. And so the guy said he fell on Saul with his sword. And he came bragging and boasting to David that he had killed Saul. David was not happy. David believed that the death of Saul was in the hands of God. Not in him or any one of his men. So that's where we are in verse 14 when it says, And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy hand. For thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. David refused, even at his men's behest, he still refused to take Saul's life. Folks, are you willing to stand for your convictions? Biblically based conviction. So David had numerous opportunities, as we said. David's faith in God, that God never makes mistakes, and that God, in his time, would take care of the situation. Spiritual maturity is about trusting in God to right any wrongs, to trust God in all of life's circumstances. 
So let us not be guilty of wresting from God his plan and his purposes, whether we understand it or not. God does not always have to explain why certain things fall out to us or why certain things transpire in our lives. He's under no obligation to explain it to us. But we should be building up this confidence and this trust in God that God will do the thing that's always right. Uh, and I think at that time my brother, when his uh, third child died of infant crib syndrome, uh, SIDS, I think that's what they call it, and uh, he said, we don't know why God chose to take Julene, but we know that he had a purpose. He may have saved us from a lot of grief somewhere down the road. He may have saved her from a lot of grief somewhere down the road. We know that God will always do the right thing. And they trusted God in that moment, as, as heartbreaking as it was. Nonetheless, their confidence was that God never, ever makes a mistake. And so David, as should we, understood that in this life, there are bigger things which God has in mind than just our need to be vindicated. Amen? And then lastly, David was quick to act, on, uh, act upon godly desires and so should we in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verses 1 through 3, very quick clips here. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest around about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said unto the king, Go, do all is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And so as soon as, as God's plans for David's uh, course came together uh, and he is now king, he seeks to find some way to repay the Lord for his goodness. We always should be mindful of the matchless grace of God. Lord, how can I repay you for your love? How can I repay you for your grace and your mercies and your you know, just go down the list and list them all. Lord, what can I do to show my appreciation for those things? And so David's desire was, listen, I, I'm living in a cedar building. I'm living in a, in a house of luxury. And the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in a tent. God needs to have a magnificent place in order to meet with his people. And so he immediately presents his plans to the priest to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, even though God rejected David from doing so, nonetheless, the Lord blessed him for he wanted, uh, for what he wanted and was willing to do for, for himself. So the question this, this evening as we close is, what are we doing? What are our desires to do for the goodness of God to you and I? What are we willing to do? Are we willing to take and cut some time out of our schedule to spend time with him? Not just... Not just uh, quality time, but spend quantity time. Because you, you can have all the quantity of time in the world, but if you don't have quality time, it's kind of pointless, isn't it? So we need to have both quantity and quality. Make sure that, Lord, I want you to know that, Lord, I want to spend this time. I want it to be quality. Lord, I, I, I want to come out of here changed. I want to come out of here excited. I want to come out of here smarter than I was when I came into that prayer closet. Amen? So... Uh, if we will follow some of these things here that David did, uh, then God will, God's focus will be on us. He'll sit up and take notice. He'll say, whoa, I got some young people down there that like to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with young girls in camp. I really think if you loved your sister, you would have gone for a master's degree so she could have had company down there. 
<laughs> she said, that's not happening. But anyway, uh, be that as it may. So many things that God has done. So many, in so many different ways, God's been so good. So do you have a, a desire to do for God a means by which you can show him your appreciation? Amen. We do a pastor's appreciation once, once a year here, and they probably do it in many other churches around and so on there. But every day, at the end of the day, even throughout the day, we should be able to appreciate God. Let him know, Lord, I appreciate you. Thank you for that answer. Thank you for that safety. Thank you for that near, near happenstance. A lot of things to be thankful for. Father, we thank you for this time tonight that we can be in the house of the Lord, gathered around your word. And, and, and Lord, uh, our relationship with you should be the, the highlight of every moment of the day. Knowing that we don't walk alone. Well, I think there's a popular song out there about uh, not having to walk alone. And Lord, there are people who may feel lonely. But Lord, if they only knew you as we know you, then Lord, we never are walking alone. We always have you with us. We're so thankful for that. And as we're mindful of that, then Lord, help us to use the moment to seize the day for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for the work that you continue to do in our, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.